What is up everybody? This is Matt DeMarinas from White and Blue Review. Sitting here with Johnny Atawa from the Omaha World Herald. Uh, coming to you live from the press room after Creighton's 75-69. Mm, what word do we want to put on this one? Grinder. Is grinder too often used? It felt like a grinder, right? Yeah. That, that, that's the word probably. I mean, like you said, we use it a lot. Yeah. Grinder of a win. It's a win. Uh, over yeah. East Tennessee State to move to 2-0 and in the season. Um, yeah, I guess this is one of those things where a W is a W type of deal. It was ugly, but in the end, the result, desired result was achieved. I Honestly, um, I, I, yeah, but I don't know if I would have felt differently had Creighton lost. I think the only thing really? that... Yeah, I, I, honestly, I feel like... Uh, the concerns that I would have out of the loss are the same concerns I have even though they won. I guess there's a little bit more encouragement over the fact that Creighton found a way to win and made the key plays. In the, like It raised its intensity level defensively when it needed to. It made shots, clutch shots when it needed to. It didn't like wilt under the pressure of like, oh, we're about to lose to a team we should beat. And we can sense they're confident. Like, you would think a young team might crumble in that setting, and cause sure. especially with some, some some of the signs we saw on Tuesday when uh, Creighton started pretty strong offensively, then all of a sudden Western Illinois hit some shots, and it just seemed to pull, and then Creighton, you know, maybe force some things, trying to, I don't know, in its mind. It, Try to be itself. Yeah. yeah. They, were, they were like, hey, we should blow this team out, right. and all of a sudden they're up 18 to 15, like, we got to get going, and I think they were swinging for the fences trying to hit homers when they just needed to double and single their way to build a lead on Tuesday. No doubt, man. But I that think, didn't happen. I, that didn't happen in this game. I think they, they found a way to get good shots when it mattered, and they all went in. They made seven in a row to end the game. Yeah, they were. Scored on 12 of their final 13 possessions. Uh, made all six of their free throws down the stretch. It was a really special offensive performance for seven to eight minutes, and it's exactly what they had to have to win. Otherwise, they, didn't, they weren't going to get the win. Okay, well, we'll talk to you at Ohio State. Yep. That was good. We're done. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, here's one of the things that I think might be a little bit of a tug of war in terms of how people feel after games versus how they feel going in. Is like, I don't think traditionally you feel a team at Creighton's level should be grinding its way through Western Illinois and East Tennessee State, especially when you figure how are, if you're grinding your way through these teams – uh, how are you going to get through Ohio State, Nebraska, Clemson, Villanova, like all the teams that traditionally have been teams where, you know, you see more of a resistance. Yeah. I, and then that, so that, to, to me, that, that, that's kind of a thing where I'm like, okay, that's probably some of the vibe around the reaction to um, how close these games have been has to be something, has to have something to do with that. I just think... But in terms of this matchup alone, I've I didn't I I wasn't confident this was a W, uh, just because this team is like Creighton's kryptonite. You know, all the things that they do well are kind of all the things that have given Creighton problems in the past. You know, more talented, yeah. more experienced Creighton teams have been you know had trouble dealing with this type of style matchup. So I don't think anything in the first half thirty minutes or so surprised me. Um, with the exception of probably how out of sync the offense looked, I don't think anything defensively or on the re- or in rebounding surprised me at all. I think I was expecting that to ha- be a struggle, uh, but the offense seemed way disjointed for a team that 
you know, kind of hangs his hat on playing with pace, moving the ball. Um, and for a team that doesn't have much, I won't say they don't have confidence in each other, but they don't have confidence that they know what they're going to get from each other when the lights are on because they haven't done it yet. You yeah. know, so like they, it was easy for this group as a whole. And I'm trying, you know, when you look at Davion, Tyshawn, Mitch, um, even Caleb to an extent, Jacob, Martine, those guys all have experience playing off of Marcus Foster and Kyrie Thomas. So, like, those are guys that are kind of going through a transitional phase in terms of their roles. Um, and then you have the rest of the guys, Sam Froling, Marcus Zagorowski, who are, and Damian Jefferson, who are kind of being injected into a different um, level of basketball in terms of D1 and being impact players and stuff like that. So the whole roster is in kind of a transition There's mode. Every single player is learning yes. and adjusting. And together. Right. Which I think well, can excuse is, some of the disjointedness, yeah, but I still think like well, I guess I wonder, so simple. I want to revert back to your, your first point about how two games, Creighton's won both of those games uh, by narrow narrower margins than you would expect a Big East team mm-hmm. starting the season. But I think you can trace it back to that. That yeah. you've got a full roster, a roster full of players of guys adjusting. But the question is, is this who Creighton is? Right what we've seen through two games that it's going to be an adjustment all year mm-hmm. where they're constantly trying to figure out what who's going to step up and you know can you be cons- they're not you know they're trying to find consistency on defense and one guy's defending well for 20 minutes but then the 20 the next 20 minutes it's somebody else it's your best defender and that guy who you were leaning on is just getting blown by you know like if they can't find any consistency and they're they're constantly it's kind of it's a, it's a constant sort of hot and cold trying to play the matchups type battle, I think that's where it gets tough. Sure. I think that's where it's the, the concern would be. And I can definitely understand the perspective of some fans who look at this and, and have already made their determination, like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Because a lot of times, you know, um, well, let's just say the last couple of years, those Creighton teams have done really well in terms of Beating I, up on inferior inferior opponents in the non conference, mm-hmm. this current team is not doing that, and I don't think it will. Uh, f- not for this month, at least. Yeah. So, because it's still figuring things out, so I can understand why there would be concern. But my thing is, is I I, I probably won't. My antenna is definitely raised, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm. But I'm not to that point yet where I'm like, oh, I got to reevaluate the expectations for this team. I think that they this is a group that's going to get better. You know that they're going to work at it. They're committed to doing so, and the coaching staff um, has sort of its plan in place of how to work to develop these guys during the year. Um, they've said it since the start of practice that the team that they sh- um, they unveil in November is not going to be the same one in, in February. Mm-hmm. How, how big of a gap is that? I think that's the question. Clearly what we've seen the first two games um, – there are there are vulnerabilities and flaws that will have to be addressed. Can they be addressed uh, by Big East play by February? I don't I don't know the answer today, but yeah, I can. I but I definitely understand why like alarm bells are ringing off in the minds of Creighton fans because <laughs> they're used to seeing Marcus Foster and Kyrie Thomas and really veteran laden groups yes. over the last two yeah. years handling Watson, Doug McDermott, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, in non conference, mm-hmm. and this group is, has no veterans. 
Um, so how, you know, it's still figuring itself out and you would, you would hope that it's so talented that, you know, it, it's able to find a way to win comfortably. That hasn't happened yet mm-hmm. uh, for a few reasons that I'm sure we'll talk about here. But um, I think the I think if you, you if you want to make up your mind today that it's all is lost, you can. I don't. I don't. I'm not going to just yet. But I I understand that thought process is sure. what I'm saying. You know what I'm. There's a, well. There's a lot to be judged in the now. I mean, I think that's only fair. But there's also, I think it's also important to maintain perspective on the fact that, um, you know, whether it's uh, coach speak or not, because I know the coaches are going to harp on how young they are. So you're going to hear it a lot from the coaches, and eventually, I think at some point, there will be a point where fans kind of start to roll their eyes at the notion that this is a young team because if they start to see the same mistakes being repeated. Well, and that, um, but to me, is, that's the que- that's yeah. the question is you can't. Creighton cannot continue to make the same mistakes, or yeah. it can't continue to have like the the issues that were that caused Creighton problems in game one, letting the shooter go off the way they did, um, and letting that team settle in. Game two, you know, getting beat on the boards the way they did, or uh, you know, having that lack of rhythm on offense. Like if those things keep cropping up, then yeah, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that. This this is a team that need that needed games, and needed opponents to reveal flaws, and now it's up to the players to address that and the coaches to address that, and um, you know they're confident that they can, but it may take time. Yep, you know the analogy. It will take time actually. Yeah, yeah. The analogy that's kind of stuck in my head right now, and I don't know how confident I am in using it because I'm not necessarily the most mechanically sound person on the planet Earth. But uh, it kind of feels like to me like Creighton's kind of building the car right now. And, like, I guess I'm imagining, like, you're building a car and there are moments where kind of everything's working right and then you're, you feel like you've got a good grasp on how the thing's coming together and then a problem crops up and now you have to deal with that and before, it's, before the job is finished, I guess. And to me it feels like there are, have been moments where Creighton has had things firing in all cylinders. Uh, late in the second half, not all the way through to the end against Western Illinois, but there was a spurt against Western Illinois in the was, second half. It was the start of the second half for like yeah, 10 minutes. Like really. Yeah, like the offensive efficiency was flying high. They were scoring on every, you know, almost every possession. They were putting Western Illinois um, on their heels and really pressing the issue. Um, and then obviously the final seven minutes tonight against East Tennessee State where they outscored them 24-6 to um, to finish the game. That was another example of Creighton kind of like, oh, there's some, you know, so so there have been glimpses of the vision itself for the players and coaches to kind of, you know, they can clip that out and go, okay, here's what it looks like when we're doing everything the way we're doing it, when we're practicing, when we're playing the way we practice, when we're when we're making the right reads, making the right plays, uh, trying to play through each other, trying to not force the issue, um, and I think today was, you know, when when they had now granted Creighton waited until they had to do it. Because they were down 12 with, um, you know, around that eight-minute media timeout. And that's do or die time at that point. If you don't put a yeah. run together, well, they're going to push you apart. It was, it was 57-47 with eight and a half left. And, and that's when the media timeout and they came well, out. Well, that was right before. That was ahead of the media timeout, I think. But Yeah, and then what Eastern Illinois, I think, or Eastern Illinois, East Tennessee State banked two threes. They had two threes in the, in the stretch um, after Creighton went 1-3-1. But the stretch of... 
nine consecutive possessions with points started when they were down 10. Yep. But then they fell down 11. They scored, but, you know, they got another mm-hmm. three banged in the face, so then they were down 12, and then uh, they were able to actually get some stops. But right. That was a, you know, that was a very I, impressive I, stretch. And honestly, what though, you, yeah, what yeah, you saw, what, what you saw from uh, that stretch of play, and the players talked about it after the game, Mitch, uh, about Damian Jefferson, Tyshawn Alexander, um, and I thought Mitch made a really good evaluation of it was Creighton using the whole floor, and and I yeah, I, I couldn't help good. but keep thinking like to the soccer team because that that to me was the difference in when their offense was feeling good and when it was kind of sputtering was. You know, them kind of using the whole field, flipping the thing, spreading the defense out, and then, you know, making the reads, making the ball screens, making one-on-one plays off of the space that they have to maneuver. And I thought that was a pretty – that was pretty interesting insight to the way he saw the game flip when they started, you know, using the skip passes and um, not necessarily going ball screen heavy as soon as the ball comes down the middle of the floor and only using half the floor at that point when you're doing that. Yeah, it's like when they set ball screens on one side of the floor – it's okay to reverse it back to the right. other side, even if even, like I think you the tendency to load up on you. Yeah. yeah, I think a tendency is for Creighton sometimes because and it does these drills like three on three drills where it's you know you have a guy setting the ball screen and uh, you know um, there's another player your other teammates on the court so they work on sort of making that read of do you attack as the ball handler do you dish to the big man or do you kick it back out to your guy um, who's spotting up for for from three mm-hmm. because obviously. Um, when there's a ball screen and you attack, you go downhill, and that big man's rolling to the rim. There's a help defender who has to make a decision um, more times than not. But I think what Mitch made the point of is like, you know, there's two other guys on the floor. So even though that action right there on that half of the floor may be bottled up, like you don't have to force it there. Mm-hmm. If something's, if if you feel, you know, maybe maybe the uh, maybe they defended it really well, and uh, um, or. In, in the case of ETSU, I think today was they were actually bringing extra defenders to make sure that um, they didn't give up the flip up or that they didn't let the point guard or the ball handler get all the way to the rim. In which case, and they so, were defending the first two options. Right. Right. Um, and so there was openings on the other side of the court. Mm-hmm. And so they just had to kind of have some patience and discipline to, to just keep the ball moving. I feel like that was the thing. It's like early in the game, well, aside from passes that were going off bodies and it was going straight out of bounds and all this thing, can't grab a rebound. How many times did that happen? A couple times yeah. where Crane had two guys there they were by themselves and they fumbled the ball out of bounds to give up uh, <clears throat> an extra opportunity for East Tennessee State. Uh, but aside from all that, I felt like Creighton just never really found um, – it, it never really seemed to have this flow offensively where um, someone's driving and then kicking out and then you got another guy driving off a – off a closeout or just that ball is continually moving. It was like if if someone tried to make a play and it didn't work, it was like possession over. Possession you know? over, exactly. <laughs> That's yes. what it felt like. It did. I'm interested yes. to watch it because I want to see. I feel like it was way different over the final seven minutes versus the first 33. But, um, I, yeah, I'm kind of just interested. It's, it's almost like I want to see an overlay of those two, you know, possession or possessions from those two stretches, like, it had to it had to be totally different because it yeah. felt different and the shots. I mean, just watching it, it just it just looks like. And I'm not trying to put thoughts in guys' minds because I don't I don't fully know what they're thinking when they're trying to see the floor out there. I know they probably want to score on every possession. You know what I mean? I think they want to 
run good offense. But I think they feel like when things are getting a little bit difficult and, you know, teams are kind of heating them up a little bit and the ball screen, the first ball screen action doesn't necessarily yield the open look, you know, whether it's the lob or whether it's the flip back for the three. Like, if all that first initial action is defended, I feel like they, they really get into this, okay, well, it's time to make a play. Just because they want to play fast, they think they've got to get a shot up early yeah. in the shot clock in order to keep the game at a pace they like it and not let teams kind of grind them down. And they feel like if they have to use more of the shot clock, the likelihood of them getting a good shot is less in their mind. Right. And Tyshawn made a good point after the game to that notion was that even with five seconds left on the shot clock, there's still enough time to force a bad shot. Which to me is like, I figure with five seconds left on the shot clock, you feel like that's the time He's when you can get it. Yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah, right. It doesn't matter what. But the fact, the fact that he was told with five seconds left, you can still force a bad one, which means there's still enough time to look for a better one. Yeah. That, that to me shows, in their minds, I think the game is speeding up a little bit too fast for them at times. And that's what you see with all the one-on-one stuff is they feel like, okay, we've done the first action here. East Tennessee, East Tennessee State f- snuffed it out, and our, our 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 counter wasn't open either. So now I just got to do something, yeah. Because I have to, we got to get a bucket here, um, and everything's been closed off. Because that's because they did a, a lot of one on one, and a lot of the you know, and and when you rely on that, there's a lot of people kind of being taken out of the game by virtue of it not being collective, you know, because you're just watching one guy try to do it. I think that's what the, I think that was the reason the offense bogged down a little bit was a lot of guys were just trying we're we're, we're seeing the first option get closed off we're seeing a team that East Tennessee State that came in prepared in terms of scouting because uh, Coach Forbes talked about after the game that they were really ready for the flip up the lob play yeah um, they were really committed to defending it and turning it around and they did a good job of it I thought most of the game I don't know how many lobs Creighton scored on I think, I think um, Sam got one late. Um, well, that was that wasn't even really a lob. I mean, didn't he slip that screen, or did he did he roll off it? I don't. Know. I think he lobbed. I think he caught it. Yeah. And okay. reset and laid it in. So it wasn't. Clean. There was no there was no help defense on that one. Right. So that was, but that was a good point. That was when they were And Martin might have got one too. I think you're right. Yeah. Did, did, um, but for did, the most part, it did was the did the Sam play where he dished to Damian Jefferson uh, for the layup to go that ahead. Was, that was, was that a, a lob to Sam? No, I think that was a post up. That was a post up. Okay. Because Sam kind of got. I think, got, say, I think that dribbled, was that, I think he that dribbled was baseline. Slip. I think that was a okay. slip. He dribbled baseline, I yeah. think, or, or something, and got kind of caught. But mm-hmm. I don't know. He might have traveled. I couldn't see. Maybe. I mean, it's hard to see. And, and the, there was a mess but, down there in the paint. I don't know yeah. how the refs saw any yeah. feet moving at all. Right. Um, but that was actually uh, an example a, of patience there. Yeah. In, in an internal clock slowing down because Sam got bottled up under the rim. And instead of kind of forcing up a shot, which I thought Jacob Everson did in the first half because he caught himself down on the rim. He's like, i got to get a shot up here. Yeah. And he kind of forced one that didn't even get to the rim. Um, Sam kind of like slowed his mind down a little bit, saw Damian cutting, uh, wrapped around the big man that was, uh, you know, kind of heating him up a little bit, and they got a layup out of it. Yeah. So that's an example of I think this team has an ability there if they can just slow the game down in their mind, which I think comes with experience. And you would think so. You would um, think so. They have a I chance do. to be really good I think Because there's firepower yeah. here, clearly. Oh, man, they're shooting 52% from three-point range so yeah. far, and, and it's not an aberration Mm-mm. because they're getting the type of shots, the type of shots they want. Yeah. Um, I will say one of the things I thought East Tennessee State did a good job of was just, I mean, they, they got Creighton disrupted because they 
extended their defense beyond the three-point line. They were denying passes to, like, you know, Tyshawn Alexander was having trouble getting open, you mm-hmm. know, because they, they were just extended their defense and being aggressive with well, it. Well, Creighton's first turnover was on a back cut. Yeah, a back cut that uh, wasn't read right, and they just yeah. straight out of bounds and right. Tennessee's bench. Yeah. So, like, they had Creighton uncomfortable because of that. Um, I think that uh, – I just think it's interesting that – I mean, it's what they have to do, but the idea that Creighton's going to spend a, a good portion of the year, because Coach McDermott said it, and I think he told the team this afterward, is like, look, it's going to be a game-to-game, ride-the-hot-hand basis on offense. Mm-hmm. Like, the the five guys that they ended up settling with at the end of the game, uh, Marcus Zagorowski, Tyshawn Alexander, Mitch Valley, Damian Jefferson, Samson Froling. That's five, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those five. I mean, they may not be the five they ride with at the end of the game against Ohio State on Thursday. They probably won't be. Um, who knows if we even see that lineup for more than a couple minutes in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, that, to me, just – I feel like it puts a lot of pressure on the coaching staff to make the right decision in a hectic environment that is a game um, and make those assessments and, and try to fit it together. Um, I – I do think that... Well, the other thing it doesn't leave much room for is uh, guys to kind of work their way out of a slump in-game. Yeah. If you don't have it one night, you might not you have may it. Not you might not get an opportunity yeah. to, have to find it. Um, which you can argue could be a negative, but I think on a team that's at least deep in, and healthy in terms of their guard core, you could probably live with experimenting like that. Because yeah. you can probably make the argument like, you know, why, let's say, for example, Tyshawn, because he had a good night tonight, we'll say, well, why didn't Tyshawn play the last 12 minutes against Ohio State? Well, right. he was one for seven. So but like, I, I guess my thing know. is is that I think they're going to be in, like, you don't want to get in a situation where you're experimenting for 10 minutes, the first 10 minutes of a game, mm-hmm. and you're down by 15, you know, on the road at Marquette or something. Like, you, that, that may be an insurmountable hole. Even on Thursday, if Ohio State gets up 10, uh, you know, late in the first half, it's going to be harder. It's going to be hard to battle back it. If, yeah. Even if, you know what I'm saying? Though? I mean, I just, I, I, I do. I just think with a team that plays, it's that's, a team that's trying to create as many possessions as this Creighton is, they probably feel like a 10 point hole is something they can yeah. dig themselves out of. I mean, it's the situation they're in. It's not yeah. like they can yeah. just, like, wave a magic wand and, yeah. like, Tyshawn Alexander. Is going to average twenty five points a game. I mean, and, they, and and later in the season, like I know we singled out Tyshawn here, but like just as an example of a player, like let's say Tyshawn takes off and has like six 20 point games. Later in the season, he's going to be allowed to work through us, like, yeah, because he has a track record no of established now. No doubt. The thing that but, I think but it makes it experiment, from an experiment, experimentation standpoint is that right now no one has a track record, so you're trying to like. Okay, if he doesn't have it, maybe I don't think he's right. going to get it, so let's try somebody else. Like and, that's and, and, and maybe the idea is that the experimentation process is over by December. Yes. I think that would probably be the most ideal scenario. You get, maybe that's make, get, get, them, get them ready for being yeah. displaced. It's like yeah. by December, I think you need to have – it's okay if you know – if because they're young and inexperienced and a lot of times you'll have hot and cold games from guys. It's okay if, if a couple dudes have some bad games – not you're not gonna get uh, perfect performances every night out, but if you have a better idea of what to expect, better idea of who plays better with who, um, and so that it's easier for the coaching staff to be like, all right, this team is, this opponent's made up in this fashion. 
they're doing they're using this tactic against us. We know what lineup works best when teams try to do that. Let's go to that. I think that's the ideal scenario. I mm-hmm. just I don't know if they're gonna. I think I, you would assume they'll probably get there at some point, but these first two games have really felt like. I mean, I know it's not this. It, it doesn't. It, it's felt like darts at a, throwing darts at a dartboard yeah. is what it's felt like. Yeah. But it, I'm sure it's not as. I mean, I know the coaching staff has. They've had a lot of time and practice to evaluate, so they have an idea. But, like you said, the track record's not there. Mm-hmm. The in-game minutes, and this is what, and this is why you there. play. That's why you don't play yourself all season because other teams expose weaknesses that you can't expose yeah. yourself. Um, let's talk about two things that we're concerning tonight. I think uh, turnovers number one. We've kind of already touched on maybe why that happened. Yeah. Uh, but it still was pretty surprising to see a MAC team, a Gregory McDermott team, have twice as many turnovers as assists. I can't at one the, point. Yeah, they finished, they didn't, they didn't yeah. finish that way. You're right. No, but, but I mean, at one point they like, had seven assists and fourteen turnovers. I'm like, I can't remember the last okay. time that I saw fifteen to eight or okay. eight to fifteen. Okay, but yeah. So I can't, I can't remember the last time they doubled up turnovers I, I, on assists. So like I will that. say that though that I do think that some of the mistakes and Coach McDermott alluded to it after practice was, or after the game was like self inflicted. Self inflicted. Yeah. So you can correct those. You feel good about in a month those not being there Mm -hmm. so but the assist numbers like i mean they haven't they haven't been great can we just go down this 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 real quick because this is a season this is through two games and it is a small sample size i understand so i'm ready for backlash here but tyshawn has five assists six turnovers mitch has six assists five turnovers Damian, who's been we think we think we both think pretty good three on three three and three, uh, Martinez zero and two. Davion, who's uh, is three and two. Marcus Zagorowski is the best on the team with a five assists and two turnovers. Uh, Caleb's zero and one. Samson's three and three, uh, and Connor's one and four. So like, yeah, you know, for a season they have more turnovers than assists. That's rare. I know we talked about last year well, how. Remember last year there was a stretch. The whole roster was yeah. a, was a, had a plus. It was plus a plus. Issue. Issue. Yeah, yeah. So just to let yeah. you know the the contrast there. Well, and um, I how think much working if we're talking about assist to turnover ratio, I really do think that the uh, uh, the target sort of zeroes in on Davion Mitch just because you look at what he did last year. Now again, he had Marcus Foster and Kyrie Thomas on the floor with him. Yep. But his assist to turnover ratio was like 15th best in the country, or so it's top 15, and. Uh, among like underclassmen guards, I think he was either third best or fourth best in the country in assist turnover ratio, and he just hasn't been able to find it this year, as he is yet another guy who's working to adjust to a new role. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously want him. I mean, honestly, he was at his best when he was going downhill and attacking the rim today. Yep. Um, but as the point guard for this team, I think they want him to do a little bit more than just that. Um, but what else is yeah, concerning? Yeah. So turnovers. Uh, well, I, I think I think rebounding is a concern. Even though they had a good first half uh, in terms of boxing out, and um, I think they now the one they dropped a couple out of bounds, fighting for it themselves. When he said, "As he said, was like, okay, you got it." <laughs> and they, I wasn't as concerned um, with rebounding, honestly, because it, to me, it's just I think it's going to be a thing. Defensive rebounding, yeah, because they just don't have. Now Damian's a good rebounder. We I think we established that, but he even only had two tonight. So like, I just don't think it's. I, guess, I don't think it's at the point where they are. Con- I don't think they're. I thought they were a better defensive rebounding team early in the season last year than they are right now. Yes, uh, that's probably a good point. And uh, so to me, that's an issue. 
And I, I think Joe Dermott did, did mention that he thought Martin Crumple, like the more in-game experience, more reps he gets, the more you'll see him go attack the class mm-hmm. and get... He thought Martin sort of, he'd box out and just sort of wait for the ball to get it to him, whereas last year at this time he was going to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, he thinks you'll see, as Martin sort of gets more comfortable, a more aggressive rebounder out of that guy, and they don't know they need that from him. The problem, sure. yeah, the problem I think today was the the more the game wore on, and the more the physicality wore into Creighton, the more it looked like they were getting out tough. Yeah, and so they like, had and they had to seconds. go small. Well, Creighton's yeah. best lineup yeah. offensively was smaller. It was you know, Frolinger, Crumple at the five, and then Jefferson at the four. Mm-hmm. And Jefferson was matched up against that Rodriguez guy who with, I don't who had fifteen. What what was his measurables? What was he oh, like? Um, let's see. I don't know. It's six six eight, two twenty or something. I don't know what he yeah, looked. Jerome Jeremy Rodriguez is six seven two twenty five listed at. Yeah, so, he, I mean he was a thick guy who could get up. Yep. And and, and just in terms of yeah, Dan boxing Benny him and out. Dean means said pogo stick. Pogo stick. Pogo stick. So yeah. really really crafty in the way that he would go after the. Those offensive boards. Yep. So not only did you have a center, a five man to deal with on East Tennessee State, you had this guy at the four spot, and he caused a whole bunch of problems for Creighton. Mm-hmm. So, and I that yeah, five man looked bit, the five man's listening at two thirty. I think he's two fifty. So <laughs> uh, they were very clever, by the way, in terms of their. I think that the term in bas- the basketball term is like wedging. Yes. In terms of how you can create space, they mm-hmm. were good at that. They were, and they were also good at just you know the well timed just like. Putting contact, getting contact, like creating, who are in the air. nudging, yep. shoving. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's within the rules. I mean, in the Big East, they're going to let you get away with that. Uh, I think as long as you don't use your hands to do it, it feels like it's. Not or you don't problem. extend your arms. Right. right. I think if you can yeah. use your hands a little bit. So like if you can, like kind of lean the shoulder, the body weight into uh, someone who's like kind of in. Yeah. As long as you're not underneath somebody or undercutting guys, I think they'll let it go. Right. In so terms of yeah, I can see that. That, 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 that to me just stood out because right. I thought Creighton was getting manhandled, and then on top of it, the offense wasn't in sync, so the score was getting out of hand too, because East Tennessee State was getting second chances, hitting threes. Um, yeah. It I, felt like Creighton was losing their grip on the game because they couldn't secure a rebound. Because I thought their defense, for the most part, was playing well. Um, I thought it was the only thing that kept them in the game was they yeah. were getting stops. They weren't finishing possessions all the time. Certainly not in the second half, but I thought they were getting enough stops. Uh, they were closing out. They were doing to East Tennessee State what they wanted to from a scouting standpoint, was running certain guys off the line. There were, you know, several possessions where they would give it up by not being sound in terms of leaving their feet or yeah. not staying in front of the dribble. I just think that um, it's when, but, they're, when they're guarding creators, ball, uh, dribble drivers, guys that, um, you know, sort of have that, and they're, they're not necessarily creating to, like, they're not necessarily scorers, I guess, but just guys that are looking to, in an isolation situation, take you off the dribble um, or put themselves in a spot where they can get a good shot for themselves, mm-hmm. whether it's a step back or one dribble pull up or whatever. I just, I felt like East Tennessee State got some pretty good created some pretty good things in a one-on-one setting against Creighton, maybe more so than um, the Chase would have liked. Yeah. And that, and I think Creighton, to combat that, to better combat that, because obviously you don't, you don't have Kyrie Thomas. We talked a lot about that. I think they have to do the, the, the simple things better, which is 
being more disciplined on their closeouts and uh, trying to use angles to their advantage and cut off drivers, um, not jump, you know, not fall for ball fakes. Um, just a lot of little things, maybe just from a mentality standpoint, be a little bit tougher, more tenacious um, when they're guarding guys. I just, there's, I mean, there's things that like, you don't necessarily need to be it doesn't, yeah. an elite athlete to do. Right, right. right. Yeah. yeah. I think that they got to do better at that because they don't have the elite defender and they they're not getting it. But I think they can be just a little bit better, and that's kind of the thought I had after Western Illinois. Like you can do a lot of little things just better, and it'll make it tougher for a guy like uh, well Boyd made some tough shots, but maybe you can make it a little bit harder for him. Maybe you can make it harder for. Hodges, Bo Hodges, to get to like he, he made some tough shots early in the. Second, I will say he half, got early in the second half. He got going, but then he wasn't a factor. Yeah, they did that, a good so job was, after that. But you know what I'm saying though is uh-huh. just that those one-on-one plays where East Tennessee State, um, they, I, I felt like they weren't doing anything really complicated offensively. It was sort of beating Creighton at times. Yeah, um, early in the second half and and. Uh, and yeah, there's little things that Craig can do to, to be better defensively as a unit. Mm-hmm. But I think when you look at it on a whole, I mean, I don't think East Tennessee State is an offensive juggernaut by any means, but I mean, they got 19, or they got uh, 19 offensive rebounds, only scored 16 second chance points. Well, so I feel like that's a good number to keep it under well, one to one. What uh, really influenced that was that final six minutes or seven minutes mm-hmm. that I think I went back and charted it. They had. Nine offensive boards down the stretch and only got two off second chance points wow. off that. That's so wow. that was that. How was, much of that is luck? How much of that is Creighton just sticking with? I it mean, I did think that because Creighton, Creighton practices like they call it putting it together. When they give up second chance uh, opportunities, um, not to like get just deflated, hang your head. All right, thirty yeah. more seconds, do it again. Get another. Stop. I thought they had they showed when I looked at their body language and. and kind of just watched their demeanor. I thought they they were they didn't look like a team or a group that got deflated after giving up those offensive boards. So yeah. I think you give some credit to them and then probably, you know, you look at East East Tennessee State and said, yeah, you probably should have done a little bit better with those opportunities. A, cu- a couple no, of them they had oh, no doubt. right under the basket there put back said Which is why it's concerning because a better team yeah, a better team might, might, draws turn, a that, might turn nineteen offensive three. rebounds into forty points yeah. like, and then you're then it's right. then then you're losing by thirty. Well Seton Hall, you know, when they had that one what game was that? That was like two years ago where they had something like eight offensive rebounds in the final five minutes and they yeah. they turned all those into points. Mm-hmm. So yeah. The, the what was that? How many free throws did Kadeem Carrington shoot that game? Twenty two. <laughs> yeah. That was the that was the day the Big East official said, "You know what, Kyrie? We don't want you to stop anybody today, so we're going to foul you out every time you get a chance." And yeah. Dean's going to live at the free throw line, and Dean's going to get mauled on the glass. Um, but overall, defensive performance. I mean, East NC State was under a point per possession. Uh, they turned the ball over on twenty seven percent of them. Um, I think that's like those are just two things. I think. Given how many opportunities they had to score, the fact that Creighton was able to limit that, limit them to that, is probably a positive. Without um, isolating a lot of things that maybe we can say Creighton did well defensively, just the whole itself. Yeah. The result itself, I guess. Yeah. When you look at that, you're like, okay, that's good enough. Yeah. That's good enough to win. Individually, Tyshawn Alexander. I mean, 
if we start this show by saying we're Creighton's trying to find guys that trust and he's trying to find guys that build the track record, I think Tyshawn um, at least took step one yeah. tonight with his late game performance. Well, and the other thing too is like you know he wasn't making shots or really getting much room to work early in the game, and mm-hmm. I wondered how he would respond to that. And then he gets ten of his twenty in the final seven minutes. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good response. It's some big shot. That that three with the shot clock winding down was a the pull up three. That was like a big time big yep. player shot right there, yep. and he knocked it down. Yep. Um, and I think he had another floater in the lane too to hit a push it to so six, that right? Creighton was up one at that time when he hit that three. Put him back. Put him yep. up four, mm-hmm. and then uh, ETSU got a bucket to pull within two, and then and then he hit the floater. Yeah. So those are those are big yep. shots. You yep. know what I mean? So I think. Naturally, basketball players are confident individuals, but I think when you do something like that in a game where the result is on the line, you know, is it, where the result is in doubt, I should say, um, that's only going to carry him into yeah. the next game at least, feeling good about himself. I yeah. mean, 20 points on 13 shots. Um, he did turn it over three times, but in 33 minutes, that's not bad for a guy who has the ball as much as he does. Um, very. I thought. I mean, that's that was a kind of a – I don't want to say coming out party because – I feel like his ceiling's higher than 20. But, I mean, in terms of just growing up a little bit, I thought he did. No, know, took a lot of steps tonight. I agree. Now he's just got to build off it. That's kind of the yeah. thing with a lot of these guys. you got to kind of carry it over. Because, like, Damian Jefferson, that's two two games in a row for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think you can argue that it's two games in a row for Tyshawn, even though, what did he have last game, like 12 or something like that. And, right. You know, that they didn't, they didn't need him to go for 20 in that one because mm-hmm. uh, they were so balanced. But... Um, him, like the idea of him making key shots for the team. I think you have more confidence after two game with two games with Tyshawn that he's he's going to be a guy that can do that. Yeah. Do that. And Damian Jefferson, after two games, doing it in both games, I think you have more confidence that, that he's going to be a guy that can bring energy and that can jumpstart this team with just his presence and being active. Um, those two threes he hit in the first half were big. They were they were down that. eight at that point. Yeah, yeah I think he – I can't remember if the Bucks stretched out the lead. No, I don't think they did stretch it out again until the second half. Right. Uh, but So those were important. And then down the stretch, I mean, he made free throws. They did. They only missed he, two. Well, right? no, Jefferson. You know what I'm saying? He made, yeah, he yeah, made everyone, two. Everyone six, did, but he, right, he yeah. made a couple. I think he had a one-on-one. Um, to, are, that was like to jumpstart the stretch. That was the first possession of that nine mm-hmm. possession stretch where they scored each time. He he was at the line and then he obviously hit the the layup to put him ahead. So he was he he's a guy that uh, that we talked a lot about this offseason in terms of taking the next step. And you just kind of wondered when he actually got on the court, would it show up? Right, and, and it has so far. So far. Uh, Thoughts on Marcus Zagorowski running the show the last eight minutes? Um, I mean, like I, said, I don't think the stat line from either of his first two games are going to jump out at you, but like I said earlier, you know, he has the best, for now, he has the best assist to turnover ratio on the team. Um, he's shooting 60% from the field. He's knocked down two of his three three-point attempts. Um, I think in 39 minutes so far this year, so it's a, essentially a full game of action he's plus 23 and the team has scored 86 points in that time so I mean the numbers are there in terms of how it looks uh, for the offense when he's on the floor 
Was there anything off memory that you can point to in the last eight minutes that you thought um, he did well that he can carry going forward in terms of just facilitating? Well, I don't know. Did he, did he facilitate for anyone in the, in the um, I think Tyshawn's corner one that got them Was that a skip? to – Did he make a skip pack? Yeah, other than four, I believe, was initiated by him. 65, 61. I just wrote in my notes that it was a skip, so I don't know who uh, okay. assisted on that play. Did he have the handoff to Mitch on the one that cut it to one? I, yeah, he probably did on that transition. So. Yeah. That transition bucket. Yeah. So, well, I don't have an assist there. Never mind. They, did, they didn't give anybody an assist on that? No, they did. I just have it I have it sorted differently. Oh, okay. I was like, what? Don't do that. So, I mean, he, we know Marcus Zagorowski had those two plays where the defense sort of gave him space to operate. He hit, he hit that pull-up three off a ball screen, I think, and then drove into the lane and finished. Yeah, so Tyshawn's three in the <coughs> corner was on a skip from Damian, Damian Jefferson. Okay. Um, but, yeah, the the one that Mitch hit to cut it to one was off the dribble handoff from Marcus. Yeah. Um, so, here's, yeah, here's the like, thing, like, here's the thing ahead, from Marcus was uh, – and Tyshawn pointed this out because I didn't know – that um, obviously we didn't know that it happened, but um, Patrick Good, is that what his name is? Patrick Good for, yeah. So Patrick Good for East Tennessee State was kind of getting going and hitting a couple threes, and I think he hit both of them against the 1-3-1, one, one, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. He hit the one to make it 60-49, to 49, and then the other to make it 63-51 with seven nineteen left. And that first um, one, by the way, speaking, just I know you're going, this is a tangent comment, but that first one was... It was like seven seconds on the shot clock, an out-of-bounds play. It wasn't even a play, really. It was just like a pass in, and nobody was there to defend that shot. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, that's those are like the little things Lapses. that yeah, yes. that you can't, if you're Creighton, because you don't have a guy, uh, you don't have like those elite defenders on the court, you, you have to be really focused in on the little things and to leave their best shooter open on – with just one pass inbounds, and you leave give him enough space for him to get up, get up a three pointer, um, a good shot with seven seconds left in the shot clock. When you know that they're going to take their first opening they can get, um, that to me is just like an example of the little thing. So mm-hmm. anyway, so he he could shoot. Yes, yeah, he, he hit five threes, yeah. uh, and then so to put him up sixty three to fifty one. So here's the sequence where Marcus kind of, in my opinion, put his imprint on the game. And that Tyshawn kind of gave us a little bit insight into further um, on the defensive side of the floor. After Good hit that three, Tyshawn said Marcus told the team that he's got that guy, he's not scoring anymore. Kind of one of those things you hear from, I'm not going to say Marcus Kyrie. I want to make sure we're getting that clear off the bat because defensively, from a footwork standpoint, it's a work in progress, definitely. Um, but mentality standpoint, he's he, got said, he's got that. he said, I've got that guy, he's not scoring anymore. Like that's he, the thing he, about you count on me. He essentially put some responsibility on his shoulders in his second collegiate game yeah. to say this guy that's hot right now is done. Um, and then for the rest of the game, which Marcus didn't come out of, uh, Good was over four from the floor, all three pointers, and he turned the ball over one time. I in, remember, that, in, that, in that stretch where it was twenty four to six. I remember. Also, I remember. Sorry. I was going to say one closeout was really good. By yeah, by yeah, he got, he got he got he closed right out just in, into right his in. space, yep. but didn't foul him. Yep. Um, Go on. And then the other thing was, after Good hit those two threes to make it a 12-point game, Marcus hit a three, uh, hit a jumper, and then the dribble handoff three to Mitch to cut it to one. So he was responsible for eight of Creighton's 
um, next 13 points to cut it to a one-point yeah. game under five minutes. And then he also did what he said he was going to do on the defensive side of the floor was make things too difficult for good. So that, to me, was like a big, big-time moment for Zagorowski. I mean, it could be early a, in his career. I, I feel say, like it could be something that we put an asterisk by, and then, you know, in two months if he's the go-to option at point guard. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, was, this is when he started like, playing the seeds for that change to be made. Um, I think that competitiveness was evident from the day he stepped on campus. That was the first thing that jumped out at, at me. And so that's why I I feel confident that they're going to get the best version of Marcus Zagorowski um, night in and night out. Like, he's going to he, – he's – because he didn't even, yeah, he like, he didn't play well in the first half. Mm-hmm. But like, I in my mind, I don't see him as a guy that's going to be to be hesitant or um, back down, back away from a challenge because he makes a couple mistakes. Mm-hmm. Just because he's got that sort of edge to him and that competitiveness to him, to where he like, I mean, a mistake almost fuels him to work even harder to make up for it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's a good sign. For the future, obviously, but but for right now, is this team's trying to figure out which. And which I think I think historically, start. at least when you look at the Maurice Watson team that was really rolling before he got hurt, uh, Creighton's been really really good when they have their primary ball handler have an edge like that. Yeah. So if Marcus has those traits, uh, which I think, at least anecdotally, we've seen tonight, uh, we saw the night in, in their comeback. Yeah. Um, that's going to be so. The question: his future is. You know, as the as the point guard of the future, right, is uh, is looking good off to a good start, I think, and but in the way his career has started. The question is, I mean, I know a lot of people kind of want to zero in on point guard, but for me, it's it's the same question that exists in so many other positions on the floor. Is like, you know, I think the natural question is, okay, is, is Marcus Zagorowski after those final seven minutes and helping orchestrate that comeback? Does he start next game? Well, the question Ooh. is, is like, well, do you start with those five? You know, like, it, I think that the coaches will have to decide if, if okay. what. I see what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? If, mm-hmm. if what was, what worked in the final seven minutes. Like, do they test out the fluke factor, yeah. I guess? So, you, so, yeah. so to speak, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, was that legit or was that just. Right. The final seven minutes in East Tennessee State or, not having a counter for it, or is it is it is it is this team better off to have a guy like Marcus Zinkarowski coming in off the bench where he can, um, you know, make an imprint on the game that way? Like, mm-hmm. I think this team definitely is going to need some. It's going to have stretches in games where it needs a boost um, from guys off the bench, so maybe that's yeah. where he he's best suited. So. I've never been big on who starts a game. It's it's a common coaching line, who finishes. Right. So, at this point... There's, there's sound logic to it, though. Seriously. Um, I mean, you don't want to fall behind 10 to nothing in games, night after night, obviously. Mm-hmm. Creighton hasn't gone off to great starts either of the two games no. so far. But You could argue they're a second-half team at this point. <laughs> well, they, yeah, definitely. <laughs> they definitely are a second-half team. Uh, but... I don't know if that's a point guard issue or if that's just a combination of lineups issue mm-hmm. or just the entire team needing time to settle in. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But I do think what Marcus Zagorowski did in the second half is something that the coaches are going to have to 
to think about. It's, and again, I I thought Davion Mintz gave him pretty good minutes after halftime, aside from maybe one. And, like, it and, and it's probably not. We should probably caution to say we're not uh, advocating for Davion to be phased out. But if you're gonna have Marcus on the floor, there are other things Davion can do. Oh no play doubt, play off the ball. Yeah. And, you know what I mean. Like and still be attacking in attack mode in terms of getting to the rim. Um, and then at worst, you have another point guard on the floor as well. Like so, you. you know, well, I just, I just don't. If think you're gonna I, go small, my, my he can still, he still, right. has, he still has an impact. Well, my assumption is is that two games isn't enough to make a change. Yeah. Um, and to to drastically alter the way that you use your point guards, but I do think it's something that like just sort of jot down, put in the memory bank, and consider it in a couple of weeks as as. Creighton sort of keeps evaluating what works best. Right. And in a game setting, as it was proven today, if – I mean, Creighton's just going to do whatever it takes to win, the coaching staff. So if, oh, yeah. if they find a, a – Priority number one is winning all these games. Yeah. If, if you're looking find, for them to lay an egg one day just to find out if, uh, you know, if someone down the line that hasn't played a lot of minutes so far has it, they're not going to yeah, do that. they're not doing that. They're not, so, they're not like, sacrificing they a, lot, sat, a winner or a loss. They sat – in my mind, the two guys that had that I thought I knew the most about were Davion Mintz and Martin Grampo, and those guys. Martin did come on the floor. He subbed on. <coughs> excuse me, he subbed on for a couple minutes during that final seven to eight minutes. But for the most part, it was Samson Froling at the five. Mm-hmm. But if you would have told me in the final seven minutes of a close game that Martin Grampo and Davion Mintz would be on the bench, the two juniors, the guys who have logged more minutes than anyone else in a Creighton uniform. Mm-hmm. I'd have been like, "You're crazy, no way." So they're so definitely come at it hard, huh? Right? They're they're definitely the coaching staff is like, "Look, we're, we're they had to find a way to win this game, and they're going to keep trying to do that as they go forward." And uh, I think Greg McDermott made the point to tell he told the team this, and he told reporters this too. It's like I think he cautioned that to not make lasting judgments over. How that game unfolded yeah. uh, today, um, even as we've even done that Tuesday, for the last yeah, yeah, as we have, but <laughs> I, you know, whatever. Um, he he he. His point was that it's 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 constant. We're constantly in flux right mm-hmm. now, and we're constantly experimenting. And and honestly, no determination, no, no concrete assessments have can be made yet because there's just not a big enough sample size. And it's what I said in the beginning too, which I which I tried to warn is like, I understand people are gonna roll their eyes at it eventually because they keep hearing it, but I think it's I think it's true. Like I really don't think I don't think it's coach speak. I do think the coaches are evaluating this thing as much as anybody is. Yeah. Well, as it's going along here to try to figure out, because like you can only simulate so much, but Creighton can only exploit so much because of how they're constructed. Like. They can't simulate what he said as he said it was going to do to them. They can try. They can do as best they can. But it's not like they've got, like, all these just, you know, giant NFL tight ends on the scout team yeah. waiting to shove them around to get a rebound. Like, they've got to evaluate it as best they can in scout and then deal with it on the fly once the game starts. Like, there's just only so much they can they can practice against because they are up and down the roster. They're designed one way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's all about learning and, and applying those lessons. Yep. And it'll be up to the coaching staff to, you know, teach in a manner that those guys can grasp and then those guys, their ability to apply it on game day. No doubt. All right, let's get to questions here for 
we're at 50 minutes. Let's get to questions here and see if we can wrap this up under an hour for you so you can listen to it during your lunch breaks. Um, first question from Chaz Landy is one we've kind of already addressed, but we'll just read it anyway. Um, start Zegarowski or keep rolling with seniority. Um, yeah, we've kind, of, we've kind of touched on it already, but I mean, I think just in the short term, I do believe it will be probably a top of mind when they get ready to prepare for Ohio State. Uh, they'll probably, I wouldn't be surprised to see them experiment with that line at the end of the game today to see how well it flows in practice and maybe something they can employ uh, or deploy uh, on Thursday, right? Yeah. Thursday night. I just wanted to make um, this because I, I went and charted it. Creighton, they tried 17 different lineups until that moment. They'd, they'd actually tried that, that lineup. That's a lot of lineups. It's, it's a lot. Yeah. So they actually had tried that lineup for like a minute and a half earlier in the game. Okay. And they didn't go back to it until obviously seven minutes or eight minutes left or whatever. But 17 different lineups until that's that a, moment. That's a lot of lineups. Um, I mean, you would hope that they don't have to do I that think, again. I think last year when I was charting lineups, like the most I would get to after a game is 12. Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, I don't know what the final number was. You like three sheets of paper for that. That's a lot of lines. It took me like four hours. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, so I just, I um, I mean, I think the question about who starts at point guard or whatever, like the question of point guard playing time, how, how, whatever you, however you want to phrase it, you can't just have a single position discussion about it. Like, it's a whole team Guys working together, uh, who fits well with who, combinations, groupings, mm-hmm. type of conversation, and not just one guy individually. Um, with that said, I do think that the way that he, Marcus Zagorowski played in the final seven minutes, it makes you wonder if, like, okay, well, you know, as much as Davion Mintz has proved during his career, like, maybe it, maybe he's better suited to have a different role because the guys that he was playing with the last two years are now gone. Mm-hmm. And maybe Marcus Zagorowski fits this group better. I don't know. they got to work with it and experiment maybe a little bit more in practice and in games. But um, I don't know. It's, it's my guess that it'll probably stay the same until they have more evidence to evaluate. Correct. I agree. shouldn't say correct. Agreed. <laughs> um, it's, uh, next one is... What's up with Epperson? Played only five minutes in the first half, didn't go in the second. Um, well, obviously, uh, he you know he didn't practice a ton this week. He practiced enough to play, but um, I mean, I don't know. I don't remember much about the five minutes he played, other than he got a chance to finish one down low and um, kind of just didn't really. I wouldn't say go up tough, go up strong. Um, it just seemed like this wasn't a good matchup for him. From a physicality standpoint, probably and not. Martin and Sam were, and I thought Sam, I thought Sam early in the game did well. So to me, that was like a sign that the coaches can kind of go back to that well, um, just in terms of the way Sam was fighting on the glass and, uh, you know, with the, with the matchup they were going to have to deal with yeah. in terms of how much of a war it was going to be down there. Sam well, and Martin were probably your best right. bets from the big men standpoint. Well, two things I think: one, Coach McDermott said after the game that Epperson, even though he was in practice and kind of gave them enough confidence that they could, he could play. His, his reps were still limited, so yep. um, that, I think, kept him on the bench more so than perhaps he normally would be. 
he needs a full week of practice or at least a couple of days of practice to kind of get back into the groove. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is Creighton went small. So yeah. once they made – they didn't go with two bigs on the floor at the same time. I don't think they did it in the second half at all. They tried it in the first half uh, on several occasions, but I don't think they did it in the second half. So um, do I have my lineup sheet here? Yeah, they did it. So that means you're rotating two guys at the five in Martin Krampel and, and Samson Froling. Is there room for a third guy in there, Mix? I mean, at least today there wasn't. So mm-hmm. I guess that's the answer. Yeah, so it's twofold. You need uh, the reps in practice and then um, the matchup. Uh, has Zegarowski looked as good in practice <coughs> as he did in the second half today? Is it time for him to start? We've already answered the second part of that. So the first part, has he looked as good in practice as he did in the second half today? Yeah, at times. I mean, yeah. I don't think anything he did today, or in the first two games for that matter, um, was I mean, anything honestly, I would call surprising. I think yeah. he can shoot. He can see the floor really well. Uh, you know, I don't, He's not the quickest and most athletic, but he is really crafty, which I think makes up for those two areas. I think those he's areas. pretty quick. Like, I think he's pretty quick. With the ball? Quick? With and the ball, yeah, he's pretty shifty with the yeah. ball. I should, yeah. I guess I'm talking Maybe it's more, more he's got this that that change of pace to where he's kind of goes from zero to sixty, back to thirty, back mm-hmm. to up to seventy. In like you short know? bursts, yeah. from like the top of the key to the rim, uh-huh. that kind of thing. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. So I think it's a uh, yeah. He has looked that good, I guess. Um, and I think you know, I think he's capable of looking even better. So um, no, I don't think I'm surprised by anything he's done so far. No. Um. Thoughts on bigger lineup with Martin, another big. Didn't look good in my opinion, but Martin isn't fully there in terms of mobility. Um, yeah, that's obviously point number one, was, is that we probably should remember that Martin is still... He's healthy enough to play, but not to the point yet where he is... Uh, back to the level fully he was back. last year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that'll come with more in-game reps and as he grows in confidence and gains it's just strength. <coughs> um, but I do think I do think a big lineup has potential with him. The more he gets reps at the four, because um, you know there's a lot of moments where he catches the three point line with enough room to shoot it. I just don't know how much confidence he has in his, in, in his shot right now to do that. But I think as the year develops, he will get. And excuse me, catching the burps from you. Um, Samson Fulling also had a couple. Plays this today where he popped out and had three pointers that he could have. Yeah, he made. Um, he took one. I think, right? I think he took. He took one of them for sure, right? Yeah, and I think. Uh, so I think the other one was open. He was in rhythm to shoot it, but he passed it up. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, he was over one. So, but, he, but he can knock down three. So we've 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 definitely seen him do that in practice, and he spends time after practice shooting in threes as well. And the other thing, uh, too. so we know he has that ability. It's not. Yeah. So I think there is. I, th- yeah. I I wouldn't I wouldn't kibosh the big lineup just yet. I think it's still going to be. Something that Creighton um, yeah. works on as the year. I mean, Damian Jefferson's played well as the as the four in a small ball lineup, so it's hard to like take him off the floor. That's one and two. They just haven't gotten a lot of they haven't gotten a lot of reps in practice with two bigs, right? Because Martin was out all summer, and when he came back, he sprained his ankle. Was out ten days, and, and they were cautious with him over the past few days in practice as they're getting ready for this game. Um, after him, after he played 26 minutes against Western Illinois, so he didn't practice much. 
Uh, and then Epperson's been in and out of practice since the start of the preseason. So it's been hard to have both of those guys available so you can work those two bigs together and gain that comfortability that you need. Yeah. So I'm not ready to I, – I think I think you'll see it eventually, and I think you'll see it work, mm-hmm. but it's going to take time. Yep. Agreed. Um, that'll about do it for this uh, breakdown of East Tennessee State. Um, as always, go to whiteandbluereview.com for your postgame coverage and omaha.com uh, and buy a newspaper and subscribe. Um, John, anything you want to tease coming up this week or that you've written recently? Uh, you got a feature, subscriber feature on Martin's recovery, right? Yeah, I wrote about Martin's summer, his ability to stay positive despite it being his third ACL. That was a fun story to write just to kind of get inside his head, how he approached it. Um, but, yeah, typical Jays coverage this week. Volleyball team's playing a couple times. And, uh, yeah, volleyball basketball team's there. in action. And, and uh, obviously the men play big. A big game against Ohio State on Thursday, so we'll have plenty of coverage on that, as you will too. Yeah, and you got a what's your next uh, half court press podcast? Yeah, a new podcast episode? with uh, the at the we're doing at the World Herald with Chris Eddy, who reports on Nebraska basketball. He and I just talk about college basketball for thirty minutes. We will be debuting a new episode on Monday, I think. Okay, so we'll probably talk a little bit about this and the Gavin games and. If Nebraska's for real or not, because they keep beating up on yeah, bad teams. Yeah, they keep smashing the crap out of teams. Which is um, not they, something they do. Yeah, normally. I mean, that's new for them. They yeah. usually lay eggs sometimes against those teams and are the butt of jokes, so that's new and different. Um, yeah, so you can listen to this podcast tomorrow, and then John will have a new podcast where you listen to. Don't you guys got a podcast coming up Monday? I'm getting to it. Oh, sorry. Almost there. Okay. I did jump the gun. I was rolling with it there for a second. Yeah. So, yeah, you can listen to this uh, recap uh, tomorrow. Um, then John will have a new podcast with uh, Nebraska beat writer Chris Hetty and, uh, for you on Monday. And then we will also have another episode of the Blue Jays Bites at White and Blue Review. We'll be recording, as always, Monday night at Scriptown Brewing, 8 o'clock, um, efforting some exclusive interviews, as always. I think we'll shoot for Kirsten Brunthal Booth of the... And I just got told she can do 2 p.m. So, yeah, we will have that interview for you, uh, confirmed. Um, nice timing on that text from Rob. Wow, that's, that's actually creepy. How? Yeah, I don't like that. He just t- right. The, did you see that? I you saw we, that come in, right? I think we gotta leave. Oh. Okay, <laughs> we have to leave. John's like, I'm yeah. freaking out. I don't know. Um, I don't like it. Yeah, so we'll have that for you on the uh, next episode. Uh, come out to the script town, um, drink some beer, order some Noli's pizza, and listen to some Jay's talk. Um, and then we'll have. So yeah, you'll have a bunch of stuff to listen to over the next. Uh, when does Creighton play Ohio State Thursday night? Thursday Between now and Thursday. Yeah. Um, Until then, everybody have a good week. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon.